Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the third of three guest host slots from yours truly. My name is James Evan Pilato. I'm the host and webmaster of MediaMonarchy.com. I call it the Real News Remixed, and we are guest hosting for James Corbett while he is spending the rest of May as we wrap up the remaining hours of May on a vacation, and we're so thankful he let us take this slot. If you're a regular listener to Corporate Report Radio, as you very well should be, live weeknights on republicbroadcasting.org. And the number to call in, 1-800-313-9443. We can get you up and on the air. We have so very, very, very much that we're going to go through. And we have, on the previous two episodes, tried to keep it in my backyard, as I think I've explained on the previous episodes Things going on in your backyard are probably not exclusive to your backyard. And if there's something going on, whether that's Nestle trying to steal your water, as we went over two episodes ago, or your sewage, your otherwise health, your water, all those things aren't exclusive to any area. No one area has a monopoly on bad, just as no one area has a monopoly on utopian good. So we're going to keep in the backyard, and I'm coming to you from the People's Republic of Oregon. We can call it Potland, Oregon, for the sake of this episode, and we're going to get into that when we come back on our second segment of this 22nd episode of Food World Order. And again, regular listeners to Corporate Report Radio know that Thursday nights, I typically join James in the second half of this episode, but as I've been guest hosting these past three weeks, We've blown out the Food World Order coverage to go at the full hour, and there is more than enough news in the worlds of food, health, and the environment to cover an hour. We could do an hour every night, I'm sure. So just even a brief glance at the breaking news, and you shouldn't trust any one news source, just as you shouldn't take my word for anything. You should always research things for yourself. I like to use Google News. You can customize it, and you can essentially run searches for words that you want to see news about and then subscribe to the feeds of those search results. So for all the sites in the media monarchy kingdom, such as the one about religion in society and the occult, it's called holyhexes.com. You run searches on occult and Satanism and church and ritual and all those kind of words that will get you stories from regional areas that you wouldn't otherwise see. Do the same thing for cyberspacewar.com. And for here and now, foodworldorder.com. So just a brief perusal of the front page of Google, and you can see so many things going on in the world of food, health, and the environment. Flame retardant found in common foods from Dallas supermarkets. New study from researchers at the University of Texas School of Public Health has revealed that flame retardant chemicals were found in many samples taken from popular food items, usually being crappy canned meat style popular food items. Kim Kardashian meant no offense when she called Indian food disgusting. And tomorrow, June 1st, is National Donut Day. That's right. You can walk into Krispy Kreme and they will give you a donut for free. No purchase necessary. And in the Empire State, New York City soda ban, another blow for drink makers as Bloomberg sees no limits to the amount of his weight that he can throw around. Food products inspired by movies. This coming from the Daily Meal. This is just, uh, again, a headline right now that isn't posted to foodworldorder.com. But I imagine this one we may have to go deeper into. 
And one of the last ones from just a couple of hours ago, Associated Press out of Coos Bay, Oregon, Japan tsunami inspires Oregon town to take evacuation drill seriously. Several thousand Oregon Coast residents on alert after last year's devastating earthquake in Japan took part in their first tsunami evacuation drill Thursday. That's today, May 31st, stopping what they were doing and walking uphill to assembly points where volunteers handed out bottles of water and grab bags of essentials. We're going to continue with FoodWorldOrder.com coverage. I'm your guest host, James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com. Stay tuned. very soon and yes new world next week will return to the airwaves next week but this is our third of three guest host slots and again my name is james evan Pilato from MediaMonarchy.com. and for the third time we're going to keep it in the backyard we're going to keep it right here in potland oregon and roll up a big fatty of alternative news for you from alternet.org why oregon's attorney general election may be referendum on medical marijuana with national consequences. Oregon's Democratic primary for state attorney general on May 15th was widely viewed as a referendum on medical marijuana, and medical marijuana won. Ellen Rosenblum, a former state appeals court judge who promised to make marijuana enforcement a low priority and protect the rights of medical marijuana patients, won 65% of the vote. And I'll tell you, I did vote for her pretty much based on this. She defeated Dwight Holton, a former federal prosecutor who was backed by almost all the state's prosecutors and sheriffs in its two leading newspapers. Holton had called Oregon's medical marijuana law a train wreck that was putting marijuana in the hands of people, in the hands of kids that are not using it for pain management purposes. If elected, as is likely because the Republicans are only running a write-in candidate, Rosenblum would become Oregon's first woman attorney general. Medical marijuana and legalization advocates contributed at least one-fourth of her 600000 campaign budget. She's also billed herself as the Oregon candidate. Holton, from a prominent political family in Virginia, moved to Oregon in 2004. The medical marijuana community here in Oregon was the swing vote, says Lori Duckworth, executive director of the Southern Oregon chapter of the National Organization for Reform of Marijuana Laws, Normal, and the Cannabis Community Center in Medford, Oregon. Holton, she says, spoke very loudly when he endorsed federal raids on medical marijuana growers in southwest Oregon last fall. Ellen gave us hope, says Madeline Martinez, head of Oregon Normal and the world-famous Cannabis Cafe in Portland. Holton, in contrast, sent me a letter telling me to close my cafe because I give medicine away. The medical marijuana community has shown they're a powerful voting bloc, says Chris Hermes of Americans for Safe Access in Oakland, California. He points to California's 2010 election for state attorney general, in which Democrat Kamala Harris narrowly defeated Republican Steve Cooley, who, as a Los Angeles prosecutor, threatened to raid medical marijuana dispensaries even if the city licensed them. Harris, he says, has publicly opposed federal raids on dispensaries. I think it definitely 
has national impact, says Jill Harris, Managing Director of Strategic Initiatives at the Drug Policy Alliance in New York, whose political action arm contributed to Ellen Rosenblum. We hope that U.S. attorneys will think twice before they adopt these hardball tactics against providers who are complying with state law. Elected officials need to recognize that they're behind the public on this issue. A Mason-Dixon poll of likely 2012 voters conducted May 10th through the 14th found overwhelming opposition to enforcing federal laws against medical marijuana in states that have legalized it. Overall, the respondents opposed it by a 74 to 15 margin with the percentages among demographic subgroups ranging from more than 60% among Republicans and people over 65 to more than 80% of people under 35 and African Americans. Others are more skeptical that the Oregon results will have a broad national effect. It certainly does alert elected officials that they ignore the pro-marijuana vote at their own peril, says Keith Stroop, legal counsel at Normal's National Office in Washington, but we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and presume we can do the same thing in every other state. In the Oregon race, he points out there was a clear choice on the issue, one not available in most other races, such as this year's presidential election. Marijuana smokers and medical users are much more organized on the West Coast. In Oregon, which has slightly more than 2 million registered voters, there are more than 55,000 patients and 28,000 caregivers registered with the state's medical marijuana program. Combined with their families, they represent a significant block, Martinez contends. That block is much less cohesive in the Northeast. Still, New Jersey slowly implementing its 2010 medical marijuana law. Connecticut's legislature in early May passed a bill that would let pharmacists dispense medical marijuana. And in New York, the state's Assembly Health Committee approved a bill to legalize medical marijuana on May 15th, same day we voted for Rosenblum here in Oregon. I don't think one race across the country will affect what happens here, says a staffer for New York Assembly member Richard Gottfried, a Manhattan Democrat who is the health committee's chair and the bill's lead sponsor. But we really have a lot of support here, and people understand the importance of medical marijuana. In a Siena College poll of New York registered voters taken in early May, the respondents supported legalizing medical marijuana by a 57 to 33 margin. The Oregon vote shows that public opinion and support for this issue grows and continues to grow, says New York State Senator Diane Savino, a Staten Island Democrat who's sponsoring the bill in the upper house. People in New York may not have followed the Oregon results, but they have similar concerns. The issue, she says, affects every family that's ever been touched by a terminal illness or a debilitating disease. If there's a treatment out there that would help, why would we prosecute a doctor? The New York law would allow patients to use marijuana if a physician certifies that they have a serious, debilitating, or life-threatening condition for which it would help. For example, migraine headaches would qualify if a doctor believes they're severe enough. Some people take, take OxyContin for migraine, Savino notes, and OxyContin is far more dangerous than medical marijuana, the understatement of this episode. The patient would then have to be certified by the State Department of Health, which would allow licensed growers at secure indoor sites in general, already licensed pharmacies and hospitals would dispense medical marijuana. Patients would be allowed to grow their own, only if traveling to a dispensary is too difficult. Previous medical marijuana measures have failed in New York's legislature, which is gerrymandered so the Democrats control the Assembly and the Republicans the State Senate, with the result that most major legislation is settled by three men in a room. Governor Andrew Cuomo and the leaders of both houses. Still, Savino is optimistic. No senator, she said, have told her outright that they won't vote for the bill, and not one person has contacted her to say they oppose it. 
Cuomo said in April that there were tremendous risks in legalizing medical marijuana and that the legislature probably won't have time to handle the issue before its session ends in June. I would be wildly optimistic if I thought we could do it by June 21st, Savino responds. But Cuomo saying there isn't enough time is different from him saying no, she adds. Continuing on this article from Alternet.org concerning Oregon and concerning our Attorney General election and it being a possible referendum on medical marijuana with nationwide effects and results. Federal law which declares that marijuana has no valid medical use and makes cultivation and sale felonies remains a huge obstacle to any state efforts to enable a legal supply of medical marijuana. In February, Delaware Governor Jack Markle suspended the state's fledgling medical marijuana program after the federal government threatened to prosecute state employees involved in licensing. Washington Governor Christine Gregoire vetoed a licensing bill last year for similar reasons. The Obama administration has said that it's going after marijuana, marijuana traffickers, not individual patients, but Hermes calls that hypocritical. He's directly impacting their lives by cutting off their supply. He can't have that double standard. New Jersey, on the other hand, has not had any problems with federal authorities, says Roseanne Scotty, head of the state's Drug Policy Alliance chapter. We didn't get any clarifications, but we didn't get any threats. She believes this is partly because Governor Chris Christie, a former federal prosecutor, is savvy about Justice Department procedures and policies, and partly because the state's law, enacted in 2010, is the country's most restrictive. It limits medical marijuana to a handful of specific illnesses. Cancer patients qualify only if they have severe or chronic pain, severe nausea, wasting syndrome, or less than a year to live. The state's moving on implementing the law. A dispensary in Montclair, New Jersey, one of six permitted in the state, has just gotten local approval and a license to start growing. More than 100 doctors have registered for the program, and patient registration will begin later this year. Still, the delay has been very difficult for patients. Oregon's law, enacted by a 1998 initiative, occupies a middle ground between New Jersey's restrictiveness and states like California and Colorado, where dispensaries are widespread. It does not permit dispensaries, and voters rejected an initiative to allow them in 2010. Instead, it authorizes caregivers to grow six plants each for up to four patients. However, a number of dispensaries have been operating, mostly in the Portland area, as private members-only clubs. Open only to registered patients, they take donations in exchange for medical marijuana. Such spaces create a community life for patients, both Martinez and Duckworth say. The Cannabis Community Center opened in 2009 also provides a food and clothing bank and help with energy assistance programs, says Duckworth, a former certified medication administrator who also managed an assisted living home. The Oregon law allows growers to be reimbursed for their expenses, she says, so the group collects receipts from them and then determines how much that comes to per gram. Donation is not an acceptable word, she says. The law is reimbursement. State legislators would like to work with Washington, says Strew, but it's not exactly clear what the federal government will or will not allow. Obama has mainly gone after the larger dispensaries and growers with more than 100 plants, but we're in a bit of a gray market now. Until we get that federal law changed, we're always going to run up against those limits, and we're not sure where those limits are. Savino doesn't have a specific answer as to how New York would handle the conflict with federal law, we hope the federal government will change their approach. It's so absurd. At some point, the federal government will realize they're handling this issue incorrectly, just like they are with rights for the LGBT community.
Martinez says she'll vote for Obama again, but criticizes him for prosecuting medical growers and dispensaries and not going after Wall Street bankers and brokers for fraud. Citibank CEO Jamie Dimon, she says, just lost more than $2 billion on dubious speculation, but he's not going to do any time. Somebody who's growing marijuana might get 99 years. That article, alternate.org, why Oregon's attorney general election may be referendum on medical marijuana with national consequences, is posted to foodworldorder.com. I'm James Evan Pilato, guest hosting Corber Report Radio, and we'll be right back. Back to Corbett Report Radio. My name is James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, The Real News Remixed, and I am guest hosting for the third and final week for James Corbett while he wraps up his vacation and as we wrap up the month of May. So very much going on in the world and so many things that I'll be covering on my own live radio show tomorrow morning on Revere Radio as there seems to be, again, the mass murder contagion unleashed and, and complete murder and mayhem and chaos as everything seems to be falling apart. But, of course, that's part of the agenda to make you think everything's falling apart to make you think that the zombie apocalypse is here. But it's the apocalypse of the soul. It's internal. It is a war on consciousness, and I will have, actually, some of the gang from the Intel Hub who are on location in Chantilly, Virginia, covering the latest and greatest meeting of the biggest financiers and movers and shakers in bankster gangster land in the world, but somehow mainstream media never wants to cover it. But imagine if a bunch of football players or a bunch of actors wanted to get away and meet in secret. You'd have TMZ and Perez Hilton and all those fools piling over themselves to try and find out what's going on. But somehow all the most powerful people in the world are all meeting and no one really seems to care all that much. So we'll have some of the gang on from the Intel Hub live on Media Monarchy tomorrow. It'll be episode 260 and so very, very much more. Returning to foodworldorder.com, and again, longtime listeners to Corporate Report Radio will know that Thursday nights we cover food, health, and the environment on foodworldorder.com. Let me take a quick moment to thank my man Adam Campbell in Nova Scotia for helping write and post and keep foodworldorder.com updated and up-to-date with, with all the latest and greatest news because forewarned is forearmed. Now, all that talk about weed in the first segment, maybe you got the munchies. Fast food burgers have tripled in size since the 50s, so says the Centers for Disease Creation and Proliferation. NewYorkDailyNews.com reports, according to a shocking new graphic from the Center for Disease Control, a typical fast food burger weighed just 3.9 ounces in the 1950s. Now it's 12 ounces, three times larger. An average order of fries has grown from 2.4 to 6.7 ounces. Soft drinks are even worse. Today, people drink 42-ounce sodas up from the comparatively skimpy 7-ounce pours people got at fast food restaurants in the 50s. There is an infographic for you linked up, and you can get it on makinghealtheasier.org. Infographic for you is the latest in a recent onslaught of news highlighting out-of-control portion sizes and weight problems in America. Supersize me indeed. 
a side I've been leaning on more and more lately to just help keep the media monarchy kingdom up to date is called BrassCheckTV.com. You sign up, they send you a video every day in your email. And generally, it's up to date, it's new news, and it concerns things all around the world. They have food issues, they have health issues, they have police state issues, technology, religion, out there, drug war, all kinds of things. On the drug war, it's opium wonderland, Afghan style. We've said in the past that governments are the biggest drug dealers in the world. More opium heroin comes out of Afghanistan now than has ever before. Since the beginning of the U.S. occupation of Afghanistan in 2001, heroin use has skyrocketed here at home and worldwide. Geraldo Rivera says we tolerate their culture of opium cultivation, but Lieutenant Colonel Brian Christmas, speaking of the opium growers, says... Quote, we provide them security. We're providing them resources, end quote. Now, some out there will say that we're taking all this out of context. I think this video, Opium Wonderland, Afghan style, puts it into context. And it has that clip that is now uh, a couple of years old of Geraldo in Afghanistan talking to the military saying, oh, we tolerate this. And it's all right there. And that also reminds me, Dick Grasso met with the FARC. Colombian terror rebels and told them, hey, you guys should really invest your drug money in Wall Street. As if Wall Street isn't run by drug money, and it has been that way for quite some time. We know that. And you can learn that from reading about the old boys, and you can learn about that reading from the so-called elites and the inbred, eugenics-obsessed, multi-generational serial killers who took it upon themselves to hide the knowledge, occult the resources, hide it all away, and give us all the fake garbage sold to us at inflated prices more and more and more for less and less and less. They hide it away and they tell us other things are rare. Cecil Rhodes tricks generations into thinking that diamonds are rare. And they also control the drugs. What was the book, Guns, Germs, and Steel? We know we could probably swap one of those out and put drugs in its place. So that entire clip, Opium Wonderland, Afghan style, I will play tomorrow on my live Media Monarchy episode 260, as we did last week. Last week's episode of Media Monarchy was essentially a clip show. It was all brand new clips, and we just played them rapid fire one after the other and and you know like we do with our high production values <laughs> i'm a college radio dj so i love to mix in all the media all the music all the other samples all the other sources and give it to you in a way that i think makes it edutaining as as krs1 would say and as we quote him my friends I'm James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, guest hosting Cobra Report Radio, live for you on RepublicBroadcasting.org. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network, because you can handle the truth.
All right, kids, welcome back to our show. My name is James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, the real news remixed, and we are guest hosting for CorbettReport.com while he is away on vacation. This is our third of three guest host slots, and it's been such a blast. I really appreciate it. And, again, longtime listeners to Corbett Report Radio will know this right now is the very point that we would order from the menu of FoodWorldOrder.com. But as we've been doing these past three weeks, expanding it out and making the entire episode all come from FoodWorldOrder.com. So we're calling this episode 22, Potland, Oregon, and we'll return to FoodWorldOrder.com. Swiss company accused of stiffing the U.S. for $750 million in supplying food to troops in Afghanistan. Oh, there we are again in Afghanistan. Gosh, it sure seems like a ton of fraud and Shady situations go on in Afghanistan ever since, oh, I don't know, some of the string pullers that are still in power right now decided to go in and train a bunch of guys to fight other dudes who ended up having their Vietnam. And then, you know, you create an army, and then what are you going to do? Well, you're going to walk around with a hammer. You're going to start seeing nails. It was called Operation Cyclone, so it's no surprise that when you had folks like Brzezinski, when you saw Obama keep on Robert Gates as defense secretary, when you see the guy that we discussed on last week's Media Monarchy concerning the Kill Osama movie from Hurt Locker director Catherine Bigelow and her screenwriter Mark Ball, they're basically getting cushy connections from the Obama administration. And one of their liaisons was a guy named Michael G. Vickers. And when we looked into him, and all you got to do is go to his Wikipedia page, and it'll tell you he was involved in Operation Cyclone. Operation Cyclone was the bit. And go watch Charlie Wilson's War if you want to learn a little mainstream Tom Hanks dumbed-down version for you. But that's where we went in and trained the Mujahideen to fight the Soviets. Al-Qaeda means the base or the database, the database of Mujahideen fighters that can be used as patsies, as double agents, as terrorists, in whatever is needed on the grand chessboard shell game. That's how it works. So when you see a guy like Michael Vickers, who was involved in creating the Al-Qaeda myth in the first place, involved to this very day in the cultivation, the curation keeping the myth intact, all to the point where it has to even go to the Academy Award-winning director. Now, we see, and time and time again, Barry Satoro is a narcissist. There is no opportunity missed to jump into the news, to insert himself into the news, to make comments on the news that historically have never happened before. Presidents would never comment on situations in the public sphere because someone of that level an all-purpose public figure, to say the very least, generally it's going to color the public's perception, especially someone with the Messiah complex and the brainwashed cult-like following of Barry Satoro. So again, we return to Afghanistan. Seven years after it was hired to provide food to troops in Afghanistan, a Swiss company has been accused of overcharging the Defense Department about three-quarters of a billion dollars. Supreme Food Service AG of Switzerland has been paid five-and-a-half bill since 2005 to deliver water and food, including fresh food. <laughs> fresh 
Fruit and Vegetables. I, I think I stumbled because I just wanted to say the Dead Kennedys album, including fresh fruit for rotting vegetables. They've been delivering since 05 U.S. forces at about 246 sites in Afghanistan. 246 sites. The Defense Logistics Agency, the DLA, has now demanded that Supreme Food Service AG refund the government $756.9 million within 30 days, damn it, for unsupported transportation costs. The overcharges include $124.3 million for transportation and corrugated packaging boxes, according to the Pentagon's Inspector General's report. And we provide that PDF for you that does originate from dodig.mil, the Department of Defense Inspector General.military. We give you a link to that PDF, and you can download it if you go there yourself, but somehow it just doesn't want to feed out, so I uploaded it to my archive to give you the mirror feed for that PDF. Improvements needed in contract administration of the subsistence prime vendor contract for Afghanistan. Another $455 million may have represented inflated prices for the delivery of the fruits and vegetables, which were flown from the United Arab Emirates to Afghanistan. We're constantly, constantly reminded, and we don't call it media monarchy for nothing, of Ned Beatty's speech and network. There are no nations. There are no countries. There are only corporations. How the U.S. sold Africa to multinationals like Monsanto, Cargill, DuPont, Pepsi, and others. Again, from Alternet.org. Will Obama's new Alliance for Food Security and Nutrition help farmers? The new alliance was announced in conjunction with the G8 meeting last Friday. Under the scheme, some 45 corporations, including Monsanto, Syngenta, Yara International, Cargill, DuPont, and PepsiCo, have pledged a total of $3.5 billion in investment in Africa. The full list of corporations and commitments has just been released, and you can get that from SourceWatch.org. And one of the most notable is Yara Internationals. That's Y-A-R-A. I have not heard of them. Yara Internationals promised to build a $2 billion fertilizer plant in Africa. Syngenta pledged to build a billion-dollar business in Africa over the next decade. These promises are not charity. They are business. This is par for the course for the attempted second green revolution that's currently underway. The Gates Foundation and its Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa, Agra, ha-ha, are working to build up a network of private seed companies and private agro-dealers across Africa. The goal is to increase average fertilizer use in Africa by more than a factor of six and to decrease the distance each farmer must travel to reach a shop selling seeds and inputs. Those who support this vision have heaped praise on Obama and the G8's new alliance. In fact, with both Republican and Democratic support, this is one of the only things both parties agree on. Isn't that funny? One of the only things these parties agree on are the complete overtake and destruction of all life and hideaway existence that may still exist somewhere on the planet. We're going to hear a little bit more about who else might be involved in this, and it's all your favorite figures on the pop-a-culture stage. But we had the G8 meeting. We had the NATO summit, G8 meeting at Camp David. That was the one they moved out of Chicago 
They kept the NATO summit there so they could have their black helicopter surface-to-air missile police state show for people. And we're currently having the Bilderberg meeting in Chantilly, Virginia. Let's see who sneaks away, whose schedule that's public record and part of people's jobs to follow them, and the press corps and all that crap. Let's see whose schedule gets blocked out, and we don't know where they are. Why don't they run away to Chantilly, Virginia, to find out who they're working for? Exactly like Bill Hicks says, when someone gets elected, they pull the shades and show the film of JFK getting assassinated from an angle no one's ever seen, and they turn the lights up and ask, any questions? Uh, just what my agenda is. We laugh because it's true. We have the G8, we have the NATO, we're having Bilderberg, but still to come, the Zion Olympics. Food Safety Squad preps for London Olympics. This from foodsafetynews.com. At undisclosed locations across London, there are sites ready to store seized foods and even food trucks. Liaisons with the court have distributed emergency applications for food seizures and establishment closures. All that is necessary for local health authorities is to fill out the forms. The Food Standards Food Standards Agency in the United Kingdom wants to prevent anyone from getting food poisoning while attending the London 2012 Olympic Games. The FSA has been working for months to make everyone attending the Games get only safe food and beverages. I believe they meant to say make sure everyone attending the Games only gets safe food and beverages. Earlier, the FSA Olympic work focused on temporary food outlets that might pop up to take advantage of crowds attending the games. More recently, FSA's own Olympic team has brought out a food safety squad to fan out and visit existing restaurants and hotels located around Olympic venues. Purpose of the food safety squad visits is to let establishments know that increased food safety scrutiny will be in place until both the Olympic Games and Paralympic events are over. This, I find interesting that it brings in food carts, that some of these food carts may pop up to take advantage of the situation. Portland, Oregon, we've got a massive food cart culture, and other cities have been sent here to learn about how we do it. As if a food cart, even as bad or as hellish and worse as it could possibly be, how could they really be any worse than what happens when you go into, oh, an established restaurant, an established multinational corporation that has a long history of destruction and acting as a psychopath? Like the corporation. Well, if corporations are people, well, let's put them on the psych couch and see what they're like. Oh, they're complete sociopaths because they act with complete disregard for their own well-being, let alone anyone else's well-being. They don't learn from their mistakes, and they're generally not anyone you would want to hang out with. I would imagine you could probably take your chance on a food cart, and you've got probably just as good, if not way better, chance of getting some decent food. And wouldn't you know it, that money might go in that dude's pocket that gave you the food. Imagine that. Now, as we are awaiting James to return from vacation, he's returning back to the frying pan there in Japan. And I'm here on the West Coast. And if Reactor 4 blows, we're all pretty much in a dire, really bad situation. And I was talking with someone the other day that, you know, you can almost kind of look back at the Bush years with some almost, not whimsy, but he was funny. 
He was a hoot. You could you could get a laugh out of Bush, out of all the ridiculous crap that happened. I think now we've reached a point with all the same ridiculous crap happening and the football being carried on by the Barry Satoro puppet. All the same agendas going forward, whether that's the drug war or the war war or the economic war or any of those wars, such as the war on our consciousness, still goes on from Bush to Obama. We see it. Now, we're in dire straits. Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon took a trip to Japan recently to check out what was going on and what's been going down, and it ain't good. Fukushima radiation now detected in the U.S. food supply. This from naturalnews.com. Scores of experts and analysts have feared for months that it would happen, and now it has. Radiation from the heavily damaged nuclear power plants at, J at Japan's Fukushima complex has made it into the seafood chain off the coast of America. Small amounts of cesium-137 and cesium-134, both radioactive elements, released after a major earthquake caused tsunami, damaged at least three reactors at the site along Japan's northeastern coast on 3-11-11, have been found in at least 15 tuna that were recently caught off the coast of California. The fact that any radioactive contamination has showed up off the nation's coastline at all should be cause of concern because... It's hard to say what levels of contamination in our food are ultimately dangerous enough to cause them. We do have other related updates posted below this story. Fukushima radiation now detected in the U.S. food supply. TEPCO admits Fukushima disaster released two and a half times more radiation than indicated by the initial government lies. Naoto Khan, Japan's former leader, condemns nuclear power. Meanwhile, bluefin tuna with elevated radioactivity is still safe, and contaminated soil may prove counterproductive, study reveals. And we also have a clip concerning that that we'll get into on tomorrow's live episode. The last standalone piece on FoodWorldOrder.com, covering up the cover-up and the BP oil spill, again from BrassCheckTV.com, two years before the Deepwater Horizon blowout on 420. In the Gulf of Mexico, another BP offshore rig suffered a nearly identical blowout, but BP concealed the first one from the U.S. regulators and the complicit Congress critters. This week, EcoWatch.org located an eyewitness with devastating new information about the Caspian Sea oil rig blowout, which BP had concealed from government and the industry. The cover-up of the BP oil leak continues there's a full clip from BrassCheckTV.com featuring the one and only Greg Pallast. We also provide the flashback to the very beginning of May 2010 on MediaMonarchy.com, our flagship site. We'll take a quick blast through what is always the massive collection of headlines that don't get their own posts on FoodWorldOrder.com. We call it Binge and Purge, Rejection, Election, Oddities, and more. And I told you we'd learn more. You too, Bono? Celebrity partners with Monsanto to help bio-wreck African farms with GMOs. Thanks, Bono. That photo and that article comes by way of thegardeningapprentice.blogspot.co.uk from our friend Siv in London. 
Feds knew Monsanto planted GM alfalfa before the USDA approval. Okanagan Fruits submits their GMO apple for approval. Gosh, I can't wait. GMO labels continue to be pushed by concerned activists and Ecosalon.com reporting Label It Yourself movement raises awareness about GMOs. Check that out for great photos of people putting their own stickers on cereals with the skull and crossbones and even a QR code that you can scan with your smartphone that will take you to a site to give you more information. Dispute over labeling of genetically modified food. More on that from OrganicConsumers.org. Richmond passes ban on genetically engineered crops. Illinois illegally seizes bees resistant to Roundup and kills the remaining queens. A last chemical gasp for bees. That's what Common Dream says. But meanwhile, Harold Nett reports once extinct bees buzz again in Britain as activists in the U.K. plan to trash a crop experiment. Some of our pharma vaccine FDA medical notes. Another state reports uncontrolled rise in prescription drug abuse. That would be Tennessee. Meanwhile, more than 110,000 U.S. soldiers remain on antidepressants and sedatives. Gosh, I wonder why they go on kill-crazy rampages when they're sent back here. More details emerge in Obama's secret dealings with Big Pharma during the Obamacare overhaul. Real Simple Magazine and the 47,500 paralyzed Indian children and the shrinking world of available dental care. That's just the first bit on the Binge and Purge on FoodWorldOrder.com. And this is Corber Report Radio on RepublicBroadcasting.org. And we will be back with our last segment. Wrapping up the final segment of our final guest host slot for the hardest working man in alternative media, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. A little good news. FDA denies petition to rename high fructose corn syrup. The Food and Drug Administration denied a corn refiners association petition to rename high fructose corn syrup corn sugar saying the action would only serve to confuse U.S. consumers and could even pose a health risk to those suffering from fructose intolerance. Meanwhile, USDA to mask sodium benzoate preservative with new antimicrobial label to trick consumers. So easy come, easy go. Coca-Cola dodges federal false advertising claim on its so-called pomegranate juice. Meanwhile, the palm pomegranate scam and the truth behind the company and its billionaire owners... Shareholders and top doctors demand McDonald's assess its health impacts and so many other moves in Congress. Senator Rand Paul offers surprise amendment to rein in the FDA abuses, and he actually gets it in. Meanwhile, Wyoming Group contests raw food rules change, and so much more is on this massive binge and purge. It's at the top of foodworldorder.com right now as we speak. It's called Rejection, Election, Oddities, and More. And there is so much more on there about disturbing things, uplifting things, nine meals away from anarchy. An asexual chef in Japan does unspeakable things. We have the zombie attack. Does that have something to do with bath salts? Meanwhile, we have the flesh-eating bacteria and so many other things that, again, it seems as 
it doesn't seem truth is stranger than fiction, and it seems as though a mass murder contagion has been unleashed, and it is bizarre, and it is meant to break us down, and it is meant to make us call out for Big Daddy. Won't someone please come and take away this chaos? Won't someone please make order out of this chaos? That's everything, essentially, from FoodWorldOrder.com, everything in the world of food, health, and the environment. And again, a huge thanks to my man, Adam Campbell, in Nova Scotia, for helping write and post to Food World Order. You may recall last week's episode, Humanure and You, featured an original article from Adam Campbell, Biosolids, Portland Must Poop and the Farmers of 40 Generations. And our first week guest hosting... We had a, an exclusive interview with Julia DeGraw of foodandwaterwatch.org concerning Nestle trying to grab up Oregon water. And as I've said many, many times, these things are happening here in my backyard. You probably have something very similar going on in your backyard. And we can all get together and we can all share information, and that's how we can hopefully learn our way forward. That being a phrase I got from my man Richard Grove, who is going to wrap up the guest hosting of Corbett Report Radio tomorrow night, Richard Grove of PeaceRevolution.org, and, of course, TragedyAndHope.com. So in closing, one, I'll say a huge thanks to James for letting me guest host. A huge thanks to all the folks at RepublicBroadcasting.org for letting me come on here. And, again, all the things, anything that may have come flying out of Big Mouth strikes again are the views of James Evan Pilato and MediaMonarchy.com and not those of Corby Report or Republic Broadcasting. So I will invite you and implore you, my friends. I do my own live weekly radio show. I used to do it at an Internet station here in Portland, but after five years, I kind of outgrew it, and I just wanted to bring it home. So I do it from home, from right here in the Media Monarchy Studios. It's episode 260 tomorrow. We're going to call it Spectator and Pupil, and we will get into the zombie attacks, all the other issues going on in the world, the econo crash, music, media, film, the arts, politics, religion, the occult, technology, all that and so very much more on the live show. We'll also have some of the guys from the Intel Hub on the scene covering Bilderberg, my friends. MediaMonarchy.com, the real news remixed. I'm James Evan Pilato, your host and webmaster from MediaMonarchy.com. Guest hosting and wrapping up my duties for James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. A huge thanks to you and all of you out there. Thank you for spending your mind time with me. My name is James Evan Pilato. Take care.